Welcome to Albright Out Loud, a podcast focused on the innovative, creative, and inspiring stories of the people at the heart of Albright College's vibrant community. I'm your host, Jackie Fetro, president and alumna of Albright College. And we're coming to you today from Albright's Center for the Arts, located on our beautiful campus in Reading, Pennsylvania. Albright Out Loud shines a spotlight on the innovative learning and life-enriching experiences that are part of life for the Albright students, alumni, faculty, and staff, and the positive impact that those experiences have on our community, our campus, and beyond. Our conversation today is a fascinating one. It centers on the Albright Creative Research Experience, an academic program we fondly call ACRE. ACRES are an amazing part of Albright's academic program. Students from any major can participate in ACRE by collaborating with a faculty member with the intent of collaborating to create something of value, whether that be scholarly value, cultural value, artistic value, scientific value, or any other value that you might name. The focus of today's program is an exciting ACRE project that examines the experiential connection between music and video games. I think this is going to be a fun discussion. To discuss their work are my guests. First, Albright's Director of Music Technology and Composition, Mike DeRico, who is also Chair of our Music Department and an Assistant Professor of Music. Mike teaches courses in music production, game design, songwriting, and popular music. His research has appeared in several professional journals, and he is the author of Hush, Software Design and the Cultural Politics of Music Production, published by Oxford University Press. Impressive, Mike. He's also an electronic music producer and sound designer, creating hip-hop beats, electronic dance music tracks, and sound for video games and virtual reality applications. Welcome, Mike. Glad to be here. Also joining me today is Kyle Karchner, a senior music major, aspiring musician and writer from San Jose, California, all the way across the country, Kyle, who chose to come to Albright for our unique programs and to experience and work in the East Coast music scene. He is an artist on Albright Lions record label, as well as a member of the Alpha Sigma Phi fraternity, the Gamers Guild, and plans to join the brand new skate club on campus. I didn't know we had a skate club. His love of gaming led to his Acre research project to examine the impact of video game music and how music and games culminate to tell a story. And I have to be honest with both of you, I never thought about music and games culminating to tell a story, so I'm, I'm interested to explore this. So welcome to the podcast, Mike and Kyle. It clearly a fascinating topic. So Kyle, we're going to start with you. In the Albright Taker program, mm -hmm. the projects originate with students, which I think is really distinctive. Can you tell us a little bit about how this, this Acre project and how the idea came to you? Well, uh, the project idea uh, was something that I actually thought about for a little while. Um, it was something I thought about for most of my um, junior year. Uh, considering, you know, different avenues that I could go about it. But I was pretty confident that um, I wanted to do something uh, regarding um, 
music or a related topic or maybe is something uh, like teaching. And so I thought that creating a uh, course, uh, I was inspired particularly by um, the a uh, acre project that I had seen previously called um, the uh, Star Wars, the Good, the Bad, and the Sociology. Um, that of course inspired me to kind of look towards that avenue of what ki- what could I do to make a course that is designed around teaching students about something that I'm passionate about. I think that's really great. And that course, the sociology of Star Wars for short, was co-created by a faculty member and a and a student, right? Yeah. And did you take that course? Um. I unfortunately didn't get to take it, even though I applied for it. Um, but I um, I did get to talk with um, Beth Keister. Yes, uh, she she was a uh, a really inspiring person to talk to. I I thought I found the project very interesting. Um, Pro- Professor Keister is very very passionate about co-creation. That is the creation of courses by students collaborating with faculty. Exactly, and that's something I felt I felt would be you know something that I I would like to I wanted to continue to explore, especially uh, when I started to do more research, uh, just starting out uh, with the idea of the democratic classroom and the way that you know not only how like a professor and a student could create together to make a course, but also with, you know, making sure that students ha- feel like they have more agency and uh, can get the most out of their classes as possible. That's something that I, you know, felt really was important to me. And did you incorporate that concept of, of the democratic classroom into your design of the course? Um, yes. So one thing that we did want to uh, did uh, discuss was um making sure that at the end of each uh, segment that we had um, a formal review of um, the section in the course uh, to make sure the students can provide their input to, uh, you know, uh, change the trajectory of the course maybe or to give feedback on the course as it's going on, which is, you know, different from like the kind of posthumous review of courses which is standard because I think um, particularly if there are subjects where um, students feel like there is more that they could dive into or that you know they're they want to review more about uh, or go go back and review some things that they'd like to take a look back at um, that that kind of flexibility is um, worth having. Uh, especially, you know, since the diversity of the class might change, um, especially with who might take it. I suspect that it might, in, uh, you know, inf- uh, be, uh, might be something that a lot of um, music and gaming students might want to take. So um, there might be some things where they're like, we've covered this before. What if we did something else? But the majority of the course we designed from the perspective of someone who might be fresh to this kind of environment and don't, you know, aren't as familiar with the history of music and video games and their cultural influences. Um, 
you know, and the general idea of how music and games work. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important concept because we all evaluate courses at the end of the semester, but that doesn't help to improve the course along the way. Mike, the, the course that you both ended up creating was, was what Albright calls a connections course. Can you share with our um, audience today what a connections course is and tell our audience a little bit more about, about what this course entailed? Yeah, so at Albright, our general ed curriculum is basically tiered so that students all begin with the, the core curriculum, like a first-year seminar, English 101, some foreign language requirements. Um, and then the courses that they have to meet, to re, um, that they require to meet certain requirements above that include, first, the foundations courses, which are courses that cover like sort of intro-level expertise or intro-level ideas within a given discipline across the liberal arts. So you take a foundation humanities class, you take a foundation social science class. After you've taken those, though, then you have to take connections courses, which bring together two of these disciplines. So, for example, I teach a connections course called Popular Music and Digital Culture that kind of brings together sociology with kind of music cultures um, and music history. Um, and so we decided that for a class like this, um, which we, we titled our Acre Project Building Connections Across Music and Games, we thought a connections course would make most sense. And especially for a two industries that are so global, um, we want to designate this course as a global humanities connections course because the music industry and the games industry are such a globally impactful phenomenon. Um, and so for us, building that course really involved um, bringing together expertise from each area. Uh, and that's something that I think both of us were well-versed at. I, I, I'm an assistant professor of music and computer science, but Kyle's also a member of the Lion Records record label as well as a member of one of Albright's oldest student groups, the Gamers Guild. So both of us kind of bring together these vernacular and academic knowledges for both music and games. Um, so a big part of designing the course was making sure that we were sensitive to that vernacular knowledge as well as the academic discourse around them. Um, and so like Kyle mentioned, you know, a, a lot of um, my own training, like a lot of the workshops that we do as faculty here at Albright for the past few years have involved um, sort of like, I guess we could, you know, uh, buzzword type things like active learning, universal design. Um, collaborative kind of co-creative pedagogy hasn't necessarily come up in that but they're all kind of related a big part of it is just to make sure that we're doing the best for all students to be able to achieve the learning outcomes of giving classes right so active learning and universal design principles were certainly a big part of going into this in terms of how we wanted to design the curriculum but i think the most radical move that we wanted to make was what Kyle mentioned, which is to not look at the syllabus as a contract in a way, which is how exactly how we're taught to look at it, which is this is the contract and I won't stray from it as long as you don't stray from it. But we kind of said, what if the syllabus was a living and breathing document that could change throughout the course, depending on the vernacular expertise of the students, especially with topics like music and games? You know, a lot of my students know more than I do when it comes to the vernacular understanding of what these things do and and sort of what's hot right now and all that type of stuff. So we wanted to kind of establish that as a core part of the co-creative pedagogy side. So this idea of periodic evaluations as opposed to like end of the semester evaluations type thing would help provide more purpose to, to the experience that the students would get out of these. I, I think that's a really interesting concept to think of the syllabus as a living, breathing document, because you're right. We usually, as faculty members, create the syllabus and it's like this contract. You don't stray from it. I don't stray from it. We're all good to go. So tell me a little bit more about how, how you see that actually happening in the evolution of, of, of a class. 
Is there an example that, that you think you might imagine? Because I know you haven't taught the course yet. Um, well, I did mention, uh, I think uh, one of it, the, a good example might be in terms of how we would um, develop, uh, like adjust the course for the, uh, you know, is um, we, we've, we have some platforms where we want to make sure that some students um, feel like there is an opportunity, like they have different opportunities to uh, tackle different projects. So instead of having one way to do one project, we have different avenues that students can take. For instance, if they feel, uh, for students who want to do, uh, who are uh, familiar with like using Twitch to stream their themselves playing games, I think it would be a good idea to, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to let students who uh, are comfortable with that to go ahead and produce a, uh, you know, a uh, live stream of them uh, going over this game and discussing the elements of it that are important, uh, which is a, actually an assignment we've created to analyze um, a video game of the person's choosing uh, that you know kind of relates to one of the uh, module subjects that we're talking about. Um, and so, if they feel like they want to stream that and then post a you know, a VOD on you on uh, YouTube or Twitch after that fact. Um, we wanted to encourage that, but also for students who felt more like they wanted to um, write a, if they wanted to do more of a write-up or a presentation on it, we also wanted to welcome them to do it that way. Um, so a lot of... Yes, and and that accessibility, I think, is some uh, is something that uh, I, is important, especially since we expect to have an eclectic group of people in our in our course. Um, another thing um, is, you know, depending on uh, the the material, might also itself might change if um, there are other. If students give input about, well, what if we cover more of this section because uh, uh, more of this topic that you guys haven't talked about much because this seems like it would be relevant to the discussion as a whole, we might be we might uh, consider including that in um, later courses in the future courses or that or, or you know focus that direction in that same course towards discussing that subject more. Um, there might be, for instance, people who, uh, a lot of music majors who are, feel that they are ex experienced with uh, music theory and may not need uh, such a, a more rudimentary tutorial on how music theory works. So we could provide more options to them to examine um, music theory and the the, and its use in video games um, from different volumes and different perspectives. Different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting, allowing the students to bring their own experience into the classroom. Mike is a faculty member. I bet there's a piece of that that feels a little bit scary because each student might be producing their own outcome for the same project. Is that How do you think about that in terms of teaching and pedagogy? Yeah, I think that, you know, the harder part about it to me, um, I like the idea of the A-B 
assignment outcomes, right? You can either do this or that, or you could do this, that, or this, uh, because it keeps it exciting when we're grading. We're not just like reading a bunch of papers, but we might read a paper and then watch a video and then listen to some music or something. Um, the harder part is, you know, a lot of uh, academics study popular culture. We kind of see ourselves not just as historians, but but specifically historians of the present. Kind of like um, there's a blend between what we do in, in sort of like archival and traditional style research, but also like documentary style, like understanding what's going on right now. And that's, again, part of that living, breathing document of the classroom, I think. So so I think um, the harder part for me is just keeping up with with popular culture and keeping up with um, the trends of these industries. And that's always going to be the harder thing. That's always a challenging thing. That's why we need students like Kyle in there helping to teach and co-create these courses because they're more immersed in that culture than you are or I I even more you're more immersed in it than I am. (laughs) Yeah, well, and and that's why we kind of, you know, we try to structure the the syllabus in this sort of like on one hand a, a bigger picture way where we have topics and modules that are that we see as kind of timeless within these worlds like topics like immersion is a is a sort of timeless concept that applies to both music and games or narrative the importance tell, of storytelling tell us a little bit about immersion yeah so intentionally we have immersion as as one of our first modules in the course because to me that's something that encompasses every aspect of these two industries and cultures uh, immersion is on one hand it's it's the key marketing trope for both of these industries to try to get people into it we say you know every time there's a new game technology we, they, the com- companies tell us oh step into this world step into this new universe and experience this like you've never experienced it before and it gets to be like you know like releasing new tvs you have 4k tvs you have 8k tvs it gets to the point where you know how how much realer can you get right so immersion is on one hand a marketing trope that is used to sell these experiences to people but it's also a fundamental part of how we engage and find connection to these industries and to these experiences for musicians it's about finding that flow state it's about immersing ourselves in our musical ideas so much that we can gain a deeper connection to it on a personal level for video games, it's about how do we engage in ways where that fourth wall of the interface breaks down and it feels like we really are a part of this experience. Um, and that's where we start to learn the most we can from these experiences. And that's where we start to think through our own ethics in relation to these experiences. I never actually thought of it that way, that you get, you can actually get more, gain more, learn more if you're fully immersed in what you're doing or learning. As, 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 a, as a younger person, Kyle, this immersion, this marketing of immersion um, into a video game or into music, how do you experience that? How do you think about that in terms of this class? Um, well, in, the, in terms of the aspect of immersion, uh, I think that there's some of it that... Um, where a lot of it seems like buzzwords um, because, you know, there are, uh, at some point, like, it gets to the point where the more uh, innovations that people come up with the of, like, how immersive we can get, the harder it is to pick out differences, especially since we've already come so far. And um, it has come a long way, but I'm, I still remember, to me... Um, being a little kid and thinking, you know, playing games on a PS2, like just how realistic the like games on that felt, like playing racing car games or playing a game like Baldur's Gate where you're, you know, dungeon crawling. And like, to me, like nothing felt like that immersive as, as, as playing a game like that. But then, you know, 
I I get that same feeling from now from like playing um, more uh, current and realistic games. But to me, that that I, that label matters less. Uh, the the idea of like technological progression in an in immersion matters less. But I really think that immersion from the perspective of say music. Um, that's for we have uh, some games that we. Uh, talk about that in particular with uh, one of them being Skyrim, where um, it ha- it is a relatively old game. It's been out for about 10 years now, but the music, uh, as it's used to create an atmosphere, um, is something that I think remains timeless because it, it creates like a realm of, you know, you're you're like this um, Nordic warrior or a stealth archer that's going around and uh, completing quests and fighting in dungeons, and the music I think complements that. It feels very serene when it wants to, or aggressive when you're in a battle, and that's something that I think more games should and game developers should explore. You know, rather than just seeking the uh, on progressing with the new, how can we go and approach um, other familiar topics of uh, with immersion that we could apply that make games immersive for the player? And I would I would even say that you know um, this is kind of the the irony of of pet, from a pedagogical side is that you know we think about technical training in these industries right and you think like oh you could go to this or that place and experience like the newest and greatest technology and I mean even even for us we just got this big virtual reality grant right and on one hand you have to teach technical things right but at the other on on the other side of a big part of this class is trying to understand at the heart of these experiences, what is creating the experience of play? And play doesn't have to be technological. It doesn't have to be extremely technical. Um, A lot of students we get in the program, this actually happened at the Science Research Institute in the past few weeks. we, we, I had this workshop on game design 101 and a lot of the you know f- fifth graders, sixth graders came into that workshop and were thinking, I'm going to leave this workshop and know how to program the next biggest blockbuster video game. And I said, no, let's actually not even open up our computers. Let's hand out some card games. Let's play some card games. Let's play some tabletop board games to understand what is it about chess that, that makes that game as immersive as something like Skyrim or, or the latest like virtual reality experience that they've been doing. And that's what I think we can do uniquely in a liberal arts curriculum is to try to think about immersion in a critical way that al- allow us to um, understand the fundamental nature of what makes games tick for everyone. And that's something that um, you wouldn't think you would do at a liberal arts college, but that's actually like the... But it's actually the crux of a liberal arts experience. You you know, what you're sharing here is helping the students in this um, immersive experience. You're you're learning about how, I, I think you said it, but I'm going to use slightly different words, Kyle, music and games come together in a way to really help you feel and be part of the story, I think is what I'm hearing. Is that... Is that yeah, and um, there are certainly different um, like avenues to explore that from too. I mean, um, we've uh, we ourselves have covered um, playing uh, some games uh, ourselves, especially together to work out, out like you know what are the fundamental aspects of play here that we that uh, we like and the way, and the way that we tend to approach these games 
and what kind and what goes in through our heads when we're talking about game strategy and what it and like what aspects of play really um get our attention about x game you know um we ourselves played a bit of magic the gathering um and we also um you know we we also pl- uh played games like uh elder scrolls online um and in general we've had a lot of discussions about you know how video how about how games work both video games and like physical mediums of games because the those elements are something that are important to discuss when the, when discussing the fundamentals of play which i think kind of bleed into the other uh topics that we have like uh the way that um immersion liveness improvisation and the industry itself work we we um uh this is also interesting too because it's the sort of technical training around music and games as well as the the kind of um uh, fundamental mechanics of play these are all tied inherently to the social impact that these experiences have we thought specifically the other thing about immersion that's really important for us is that immersion we thought about this a lot is that this is also what scares people the most about these experiences we 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 you know, it was sort of timely that the the latest uh, season of Stranger Things had come out, and the whole first episode of that last season is about a Dungeons and Dragons club at the local school. And there's a at the like the first few minutes of the episode, it's Eddie Munson. He he's a leader of the Dungeons and Dragons club, and he holds up a Newsweek headline, which was a real thing in the '80s when Dungeons and Dragons came up. And he says, "Look, satanic." cult um, these students are following these sort of satanic cult rituals that this game is teaching them and it's causing kids to be suicidal and all this stuff and the same type of fear-mongering about video games occurs of course where it's like anytime there's a major tragedy in our country whether it's a school shooting or, or um, things like that there's um, the politicians on both sides of the aisle automatically blame video games because it's that immersive thing the, the feeling that if you get immersed in this that you will lose yourself and so there's an interesting thing about the, the blurred line between fantasy and reality and about how people form their identities through these experiences that scares a lot of people as it, well it does particularly i think that that immersive experience i want to go back to something you said a minute ago mike you said you had students play card games and board games like chess to figure out what it was that made a game a game is that what it what did they learn from that from from that experience so, so um, in any game design curriculum, a, a lot of what we do in the sort of 101 level is to think about the core principles of design. And those principles aren't necessarily unique to games. Like we think about principles of art and design more ba- more broadly, like how do you create balance in a, in a work of art? How do you create, um, th- what are the principles of composition? And these things are universally shared across music, games, visual art. But within games specifically, one of the most important things to consider are the mechanics. Is like what is the fundamental fundamental thing that you do in the game that be, that makes it fun for the players? You know that might be something as simple as like Super Mario Brothers. You jump. That's the fundamental mechanic that allows you to do everything else in the game. And th- and then if you can sort of master that mechanic, that's how you level up your your skills progression and all that type of stuff. Yeah, that that is that's really fascinating. I ne- I've never thought of games that way. And I think of some of the older games and how you think of design in terms of that. I mean, it's it's a similar way to the way we think about instruments. If you think about playing an instrument, there's a fundamental mechanic for how you interact with it. 
for for most other objects we call those affordances right like when you approach a doorknob the design of the doorknob suggests the way to turn it right and that's the same with instruments or with video games is when you when you pick up a game controller it suggests a form of interaction or to it, us. Should, right. it should right it should if it's designed if well if it's yeah, designed right. well yeah. it's designed well there are other things too like um especially when it comes to adapting um music uh to uh you know things like uh other platforms like vi uh, like video games there are several kinds of video games like uh guitar hero for instance where they actually create a controller that is specifically meant to kind of simulate the experience of playing a guitar but you know that works within the more um simplistic realms of the game i guess it's you know a different experience than what you would get from you know playing a guitar but you know, it it's for you know someone who is just like picking up a the you know this little you know pla a plastic simulation of a guitar. It feels you know real enough to them. Another thing that goes uh, to go into that is UI. Um, there are games um, that kind of simulate like what you would experience when you're you know DJing or mixing different uh, elements of songs together. Um, and this is a concept that has existed since like the PS2, but it's evolved into um, uh, different different kinds of games. But um, you know, another element of the of that of of simulate of like creating like a des a design elements is user interfaces. Like how in the game itself do you access certain uh, mechanics or options? Is the way that you work with um, uh, using uh the like a mechanic to attack an enemy for instance is does is that intuitive or is it something that seems awkward or you know something that someone isn't used to and like there are you know uh kind of um pre uh preconceived notions about how to do that be based on how other games have taught us how to do that so a good balance i think is working with how games uh, normally use these interfaces versus um, creating innovation in that respect. Yeah, that user interface design, I think, is so important um, to the user's feel, whether it feels natural enough. And I think that's not just the music in the game, but that user interface is an important part of whether the player feels like they're immersed in the experience. It's got to feel natural, as you said, Kyle. Yeah. So, so Mike, you, you, both your research and your book examine the cultural impact of music and technology. Um, this Acre project that we've described of co-creation and thinking about music and gaming, is it, is, it, is it yet another way of looking at how today's culture intersects with modern life like politics and industry? Is there an intersection there? Yeah, so that's that's really a, a fundamental premise of the book is is the idea that that every interface, like Kyle's mentioning, every user interface and every uh, tool that we interact with as an interface between the virtual and the real world carries with it these stories and these histories and these politics and values that that go back uh, often a re really long time. Do you so, think the students in the course ca capture that? Is that part of what you're 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 helping them see or learn in the course or experience? Yeah, I, I think especially for um for for music students, this is actually easier for me. I think because most of them are much more. It's easier. I shouldn't say easier, but to to sort of get started making music 
it's a, it's a much less of a learning curve than to get started making video games, right? So a lot of students in our music industry studies major come in here with a lot of expertise in making music already. Maybe they're in high school making beats for rappers, and they have a, they have a sort of firm knowledge of how this stuff works technically. A big part of what I like to teach, especially, again, like the unique part of teaching this stuff at a liberal arts college is to teach them about how the things that we interact with on daily basis carry with with these values and these systems and a lot of them are quick to understand that when we start talking about it one of the common um uh things that 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 comes up a lot is there's a software called logic pro that a lot of our students use to to sequence music to make beats to record music and that that software includes a um uh, a tool called the smart drummer feature and it's 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 one of the first examples of using kind of like artificial intelligence within music software um, to be able to help you make music it's like oh, a wow. musical assistant right and the thing about this is that the the um uh the the ai assistants are actually created after character archetypes so if you want to have a hip-hop drummer there's a silhouette of a clearly like a young black man with dreadlocks and so the students will be quick to say, oh, this, yeah, we love using that racist smart drummer app on Logic <laughs> Pro because it just sort of, it's it sort of in the same way that mus- the music industry has long kind of racialized musical genre, it's doing it now through the interfaces we engage with. And they're quick to understand that. And, and that's why a lot of the research from this book do- came from conversations with students, especially in the rap collective, in terms of how they're using their gear and how they're, ga- how they're navigating the industry and the industry's politics of various sorts. Oh, that's, uh, that's really, that's a really, we could do a whole nother podcast yes. on that, couldn't we? <laughs> I'm wondering, Kyle, you're from the you're from the West Coast. You're from San Jose, and you're going to college here at Albright College on the East Coast. Is there anything you brought from the West Coast that informed your Acre project? Um, well, I think in maybe uh, there are some things um, like uh, I I for one uh, it was a big. Um, player of um more um i I, for 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 instance i i played a lot of um blizzard games which are uh one of the ones one of the games that we're focusing on is world of warcraft which i had a lot of experience with and i think um i'm not sure if it's say like a big uh large more if it's more prevalent in um in like uh california per se but there are um i i have actually gone to experience some co- like local video game conventions especially one that uh, called blizzcon which is actually focused around blizzard entertainment which um it gave me a lot of uh, the an idea of um uh one of the core aspects that we're talking about when we talk about world of warcraft which is the community both inside and outside of the game that it creates and de- and how those uh, relationships develop. Um, because you can see people who maybe have never even met each other before in person or normally wouldn't, but uh, get to come together at these conventions to see each other in real life and to experience, you know, a different, you know, way of uh, communicating with each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different experience. I got, for one, got to see a lot of different like youtubers and uh you know people who create content for these games that uh i got to see personally and talk to them and which was a very enlightening experience that's a different experience going Mm -hmm. to these conventions to see the people in person that's Mm -hmm. awesome that's awesome 
Okay, last thing, share with our audience your favorite either video or musical artist or piece of music and why. Yeah, I mean, I would say um, a big part of the research I did for this book uh, involved doing ethno- ethnography out in the West Coast, out in Los Angeles, um, on what, what became known as the beat scene, which is a, sort of a group of underground hip-hop producers and rappers um, that were inspired by this one artist, Jay Dilla. Uh, and so that group of producers is for sort of very experimental, kind of like um, artists out of left field, I guess we could say, um, sort of my favorite uh, musical style. For most listeners, you could say, I guess, lo-fi music is like <laughs> is the, <laughs> the popular term that that, that music inspired. Um, but related, a lot of those um, a lot of those musicians uh, were highly inspired by by video games, and um, that was something that I learned that really inspired the the direction of this book was the fact that a lot of these musicians and these producers were also at the same time that they were performing hip hop at clubs, they were also making um, sound design and, and compositions for video games, especially inspired by sort of like uh, '80s um, you know eight bit retro video game styles and you know for myself that's those as far as video games go those would be all, always be the ones that um that stand out and you could you know you could you could interview a group of you know uh, thousands of different gamers and based on their age demographic there's something to be said for the nostalgia of like what was the first video game that you interacted with so space, i'd always have space to, invaders yeah right right <laughs> and which is now a um you know i, I went to an arcade recently where they had they have a massive space invaders uh oh do you know, they? arcade game that you can <laughs> that would be cool so um so yeah those were always the ones that kind of stood out to me and of course you don't try not to bring that up around your students because it just you know makes you feel makes old you feel old. You. <laughs> very old very old kyle do you have a favorite um game or uh, artist or musical genre to share and why um so uh it's going off of kind of uh what what, what mike said one of my favorite games uh, that uh, kind of came out of that ins- inspiration of like, um, r- you know, a recreation of like retro '80s games, and you know, use using like eight or sixteen bit as like the main platform uh, was is Undertale, and I think a big part of it is because it it takes you know a lot of elements that are kind of you know indicative of, of old games like. Um, Earthbound, or um, in Japan, I think they're called Mother, Mother Two, um, but those games um, in particular inspired Undertale, which takes the platform and runs with it in a new direction, especially with narrative, because it tells a very different kind of story from most games where you normally like fight creatures and like you know battle Pokemon, for instance. This game encourages you actually to look at it from the perspective of um playing peacefully you know trying to positively interact with other creatures no, I like and that, that kind of yeah and and from there it kind of rewards you by creating by giving you a much more in-depth and fun narrative with the characters that you save or the characters that you um, peacefully interact with there. There are a lot more options opened up with that. Oh, I wish there were more games like that. That mm-hmm. sounds like a great game. That, I mean, that's even yeah. Undertale in many ways sort of like it was a core influence on just the whole direction of the class because the, how that game is really based on the fact that your decisions matter and that you have this agency as a player that will matter in the end in terms of the outcomes. Um, and so if you just go and you try to just kill every other character in the game, 
the ending of that game will be a very sad and tragic one and not a not really great for you right and so it, it forces you to think about the ethics of every decision you make and how you can shape your own experience through the game right? that's awesome mm-hmm. that's awesome this has been really a fascinating conversation thinking about how music and uh, games come together to tell a story that that immerses the player and how that intersects with with culture. Uh, this time today went by really fast. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you both being here, Mike and Kyle, um, and uh, just an engaging conversation. I look forward to hearing what you both accomplish as you go forward and in your senior year, Kyle. And listeners, thank you for joining us today. To learn more about what makes Albright College and our wonderful community distinctive. This podcast, Albright Out Loud, is available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. So I hope you will subscribe and be notified each time we upload a new episode with a story about our faculty, our students, and our alumni. I also invite you to learn more about Albright College and how Albright can help you pursue your passions by visiting our website, albright.edu. Thank you for joining us today for Albright Out Loud.